Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm One Match Matt. I'm uh, Michael Whipwreck. <laughs> and I'm just Shane, because I can't think of anything else to say. No, this week he's the Shan-Am Express. There we go. Welcome to episode 234, Best of Wrestling History X, Volume 5, 19. 96. We're here to pick matches close to our heart and share them again with you. That's right. So we had 52 episodes covering 1996. So we've been doing this a whole year. Just in this year. Yeah. On, just on 1996. Insane. It's a lot of shows to watch. But we came up with a short list while we were going through. Did you just count them? Yes, there was 15. 15 matches out of those 52 episodes. Yeah, ones that put a twinkle in our eye and warmed uh, the cockles of our heart. That's right. Yes. And from those 15, we came up with an even shorter list. The creme la de creme, as you might say. Yes. All of them, I assume, a little bit more. We each picked ones that were more personably, personally like memorable. Granted, there's probably some matches on here that uh, are going to be left behind and maybe shouldn't in some people's eyes, but uh, this is our show, goddammit. That's right. We had to sit through all of this. <laughs> well, these matches, we were happy to sit through. Exactly. Absolutely. And we would do it again. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you'll join us in talking about them one more time in this clip show style episode. Yeah, Running down memory lane, where you'll probably hear it in our voices, our excitement. That's right. Well, with no further ado... Let's do... Alright, chronological order? As we always do, here at Wrestling History X. Yeah! Start off with episode 193, Big Ass Extreme Bash, Mikey Whipwreck versus Cactus Jack. For all of our ECW ire from time to time... This list has more ECW matches than probably any other company, and uh, this one means a lot to me. Is accurate? Yeah, big big fan of Mick Foley. He was my guy as a kid, and Mikey Whipwreck. Uh, as soon as I saw him in ECW, I latched on him immediately. Just kind of the same way those two men latched on to each other. And here we have Cactus Jack leaving a uh, fun run in ECW, and. Uh, Healing it up so well, so damn well, and Mikey is the absolute underdog. That's right. You can't have a show called Big Ass without Mick Foley's Foley's (laughs) Big Ass. Yeah, this match was absolutely incredible. Like, knowing that Cactus Jack was leaving, like, the entire crowd knows. Yeah. That he's out the door, and you're thinking, oh, Mikey's going over. Yep. From minute one. But... The match happens, and then the most incredible send-off happens. So, 
and you have to include the send off. Yeah. In in the clip. Oh hell yeah. Because it's part of what makes the moment so special. So we move to our sixth match: Mikey Whipwreck versus Cactus Jack. And Mikey comes out wearing a neck brace because Taz had hurt him the night before. I mean, hey man. And then he came out to some weird whatever the overlaid music that they put on there was, or was that music sounds music? exactly like a good yeah reference no. to Beck. I texted Matt about this when I watched it, but um, like of all of the like songs they put in or like in the style of because they don't want to pay for the rights. This one they actually put lyrics on and it sounds like somebody like we're trying to rip off Beck and the song's not bad. Well, maybe I heard a different one because mine didn't have lyrics. Mine was just oh. like this horror movie sounding. Oh, oh weird. No, it's like a, it's yeah. like a weird Beck rip off, but with like original lyrics and it's a, Song that was done in house, I imagine the WWF. Uh, yeah, because it was it was to the point where I couldn't hear, I couldn't really hear the crowd. It was like it was over the top of the crowd I mean, noises. That's every time that they overlay music, it's yeah. over the crowd. Yeah. They... yeah, it was just the weirdest selection because it took me a second because I heard the music and was trying to figure out who is this guy walking down the ring because I hadn't seen him with hair that big, yeah, froey before. And then the neck brace was throwing me off. And then once I actually caught a look at his face, I was like, okay, that's Mikey. But what the fuck is this song that I'm hearing? Oh, no, the one the one that uh, we heard is pretty nice. It was so nice that I was talking to a friend about it who uh, watches wrestling. I don't know if he does it regularly, but he's familiar enough where we can hold a conversation about all kinds of stuff. But I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, he's like yeah, that's yeah. He, he knew what I was talking about. And I was like, that's cool. Also, the other thing, Mikey Whipwreck. New T-shirt. This is his third T-shirt. It's not the dragon shirt. It's not the wizard shirt. It's got an all-over print Ozzy Osbourne shirt that's pretty sick. So Joey also tells us that this is Jack's final match in ECW. <gasps> oh, shit. It had to come eventually. So the crowd's chanting Cactus. Cactus. So he takes Cactus. the mic to tell Whipwreck that Mikey will be able to tell his kids that he was Cactus Jack's last match. Sorry, Mikey. But Jack will be damned. If Whipwreck will be able to tell him that he won. Sorry to break it to you, Mikey, but Cactus Jack returns at some point in the future. Just not an ECW. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, last match here. We all know where he's going. W, W, F, and F. So That's funny. Right. Still funny. So Cactus Jack works the neck of Mikey to start with. Knees, stomps, and turnbuckle smashes. Hits a running knee before tossing Whipwreck out to the floor. Jack follows out to keep up the attack with a chair, but Mikey dodges the shots multiple times, only to receive a running forearm to knock him down. Back in the ring, Whipwreck fires up with a drop kick and a cactus clothesline to send them both over to the floor, where he follows up by throwing Jack into the guardrail and a back suplex onto the concrete. Take that. Mikey tosses a chair into the ring before rolling Cactus Jack in where he hits a side Russian leg sweep onto the steel. I mean, that's that's fun. Anytime somebody gets tripped onto a flat steel chair, the, it always kind of almost feels... I mean, it feels more believable than a concerto. Right? Mm-hmm. Whipwreck then leaps onto the shoulders of Jack for a victory roll, only for Cactus Jack to just dump him off over the ropes onto the timekeeper's table, which doesn't break. I mean, it's a bigger table. 
Jack sets the table against the ring post to back suplex Mikey into it. And it still doesn't break. I know. I, I, I hurt a little bit with that one. I was like, ah, my ribs. <laughs> Cactus Jack then leaps off the second rope with an elbow drop out onto the concrete. Which is a Cactus Jack staple. Mm. But we haven't seen him do it in ECW. Yeah, I mean, that was his thing in... Very uh, true. Yeah, his, his the WCW splat, if you will. He did it off the catwalk. He did it off the apron. He did it... It's because he was working heel most of the time here in ECW and basically went away from the hardcore aspects of Cactus Jack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was the thing with... Was it Shane Douglas pulling it out of him to eco yeah. in over? Jack with a crutch to the head of Whipwreck, and he goes for a chair, only to have Mikey drop kick it into Cactus Jack's face before they head out into the crowd to brawl. Whipwreck climbs back into the ring, but then springboards off the ropes with a <laughs> somersault senton out onto Jack in the front row. That's scary. That nearly <laughs> misses. I know. Man, I get that like all these guys are still alive but i still get scared in those moments because it's just like so silly and dangerous oh, yeah i mean it's like when you watch titanic you know what's going to happen at the end but you still just kind of hope that maybe <laughs> maybe this time it's different uh i mean <clears throat> they were never going to be together <laughs> even if they even if they survived they were never going to be together jack delivers a cactus clothesline that takes them back over the guardrail to the ringside before delivering a snap suplex onto the concrete back in the ring Jack locks in what will become huh? known as the mandible claw oh shit the first time but no one has a clue what he's trying to do no. so there is absolutely no reaction I mean like, I got my fingers I was nope. as a uh, attitude era like mankind was my favorite guy as somebody who like started watching and like the, the pro like when it really popped off like you're 98 yeah. Like in the 97, 98, 99 or whatever. The Mandible Claw, I still didn't quite get, even though I was he was my favorite wrestler. Yeah, when I remember when uh, Mankind first shows up, he did that. And I never quite understood what the hell was going on with it because it just looked like he was sticking his fingers down people's throat because they would gag and yeah. do a, a little bit of a, a puke on his... Globe, yeah, whatever. Before there was a before it was cloth a sock. covered fingers. Yeah, it's like I think the idea was that they were pushing down underneath the tongue or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems uncomfortable and gross. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but <laughs> it's claw. the same thing Britt Baker does now. Yep. Basically. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that's what she did. It's I mean, a that's why he's a big champion of hers. It's a funny thing to do to a dog if you stick your thumb on the bottom of their jaw and push it down. It'll Really piss them off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's pretty funny. It's Make sure piss you don't. Most people off. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it to a human, but um, you know, doing it to a dog, your own dog, just to tease it or whatever. I wouldn't do it to a stranger's dog. I'm not trying to get bit. Jack continues by nailing a pile driver and a double arm DDT for multiple two counts. Cactus Jack then hits a guillotine leg drop on the apron, Oof. an elbow across the neck. And tries for a pile driver on the floor. But Mikey escapes by ramming Jack into the apron and the guardrail before backdropping him out into the crowd. But Cactus Jack comes right back with a neck breaker across the steel and goes up to the apron for a springboard back elbow. But Whipwreck moves, sending Jack into the guardrail. 
They head back into the ring where Mikey smashes Jack with a chair shot multiple times. That gets a near fall. Unprotected, of course. Whipwreck then crawls to the corner and grabs a vinyl Leonard Cohen album (laughs) and smushes Cactus Jack's face into it before going back to the chair shots as Jack bails to the floor and out into the crowd. What is there a significance to the Leonard Cohen? I have no clue. I didn't even see him bring it out with him. Yeah. So it's like, what was the song that, like, Gactus came out to? I can't imagine. Born to be wild. Yeah, that's Steppenwolf. That's why I, <laughs> I thought it was a Steppenwolf record, and then when I saw that it was a Leonard Cohen record, because I was like, oh well, yeah, yeah, it's not Born to be Wild. Absolutely no clue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe Cactus Jacket. Maybe uh, Mick Foley's a big Leonard Cohen fan in real life. Mikey's hot on the tracks of Jack as they brawl their way towards the Eagle's Nest, with Whipwreck snap-suplexing Cactus Jack onto the floor, before climbing up to the balcony and diving off with a crossbody. Oh my god! We've got a new record. And the ref now checks on Cactus Jack. (laughs) They then brawl their way down the aisle, back to the ring, where Mikey climbs to the top rope, only for Jack to nail him with a forearm on his way down. Cactus Jack grabs a chair and murders Whipwreck with several chair shots before delivering a pile driver on it as well for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post match, the crowd is giving a standing ovation for both men as Jack crawls after Mikey, not to attack him, but to give him a hug. Cactus, Cactus. I know, I was thinking, I was like, WWE doesn't want him to lose on his way out. They don't give a shit. I mean, Mikey pinned uh, Steve Austin. But I guess, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. I was hoping maybe Mikey would pin him on the way out. But hey. Cactus Jack then takes the mic. I've said some pretty outrageous things. And to have 99% of you give me this kind of reception makes it all worth it. He continues by praising the locker room that it can survive without Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. He names off Hack Myers, the Eliminators, and Sabu as guys that give their all before giving Sign Guy his props and then hugging John, a young man whose favorite was Cactus Jack. Oh, yeah, and he's like holding, holding back some tears. Uh, it's very sweet. I mean, if anybody can pull it out of you. Uh, on a microphone it's uh, Mick Foley he can do sentimental without it coming off rote yes Jack keeps going on about a pair of visionaries and creative geniuses without whom ECW wouldn't exist Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie (laughs) I mean we've all given plenty of flowers to Stevie Richards he's fucking great So the Fabulums come out, and the three of them hug, before doing the can-can to what was New York, New York uh, in the arena. Oh, that's funny. But WWE ain't paying for those rights, so no. we just get like this music that has nothing to do with Which New York, New York. makes sense why um, the crowd chant New York sucks, because I didn't quite get it. I knew they were doing the can-can, but I, when I see the can-can, I don't imme- immediately think of New York, New York. No. Cactus Jack then calls out Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon, but they don't come out. But Jack does say he would like to strut out of the ECW arena. So our three men do the Fargo strut to the back. Another Fargo tie-in right there, Mm -hmm. baby. 
before Jack runs back out to give his appreciation to the crowd, which they return in the form of another standing ovation. This is Foley's baby boy. Got the whole crowd on his side. He even puts over Hack Myers and says he went to the hospital tonight. Just, just putting everybody over. So that was our big ass extreme bash flashback. Yeah, pretty much everything Matt said. It's, it was, it was a great match. It was a phenomenal send off. And you know, Cactus Jack was already a, a, a big star in our hearts and. Uh, it was awesome to see him appreciated before he went on and became the the saint of all mankind. Yeah, for, the, the for nicest us. man in wrestling outside of Bobby Eaton, as far as, you know, all the tales that have been told. <laughs> it's, we're moving on, and Shane, this one's yours. Yeah, it is. We are going to uh, jump forward to episode 213, going across the, uh, the world to the J-Crown tournament over in Japan for a little bit of uh, Ultimo Dragon who at the time was the War International Junior Heavyweight Champion, versus Jushin Thunder Liger, who was at the time the British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight Champion in the quarterfinals of the J-Crown Tournament. This was the tournament that put all of the the juniors together under one, one big major championship where somebody gets to walk out and carry a whole bunch of belts with them. Uh, but this match specifically, it, it called out to me just from start to finish because it's... Two of the best, just nonstop, fast-paced, quick action, and it's it's one of those where you're literally on, at least I was, on the edge of my seat as the match started and finished because, holy shit, did they, oh my god, they just did that, holy, oh my god, and yeah, if if you've never watched it, pull it up, it's, it's definitely worth it, it's, like I said, it's a quick match, but it is highly worth it, at least to me, it was, it was incredible. I mean, uh, Liger is the most selfless, maybe the most selfless Absolutely. wrestler mm-hmm. of all time. And here he is bringing a fresh face to new heights. Yep, yep, yep. Ultimo made quite the, uh, the debut for me. This was uh, the first place I remember ever seeing him. And he, the two of them together are just yeah. fucking magic. Not to spoil anything, but... Uh, on our match, our list of fifteen matches, he's on there three times. Yes. So uh, we're quite, fans, and uh, the man's very talented. Quite the uh, Ultimo year for the yeah, Dragon. Yeah, an exciting wrestler. We then go to our second match, Ultimo Dragon, the War International Junior Heavyweight Champion, versus Jushin Thunder Liger, the British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight Champion. I mean. You can't be the IWGP because that's great Sasuke. So he's going to be the BCJHC. Correct. Yeah. I wonder who he got that off of. <laughs> Don't look it up. I'm just <laughs> saying it out loud. I have no Dave problem. Taylor. <laughs> sounds, sounds good. In the quarterfinals of the J-Crown tournament, the last time we saw Ultimo Dragon was Super J-Cup second stage, episode 175. And the two men lock up with no one gaining an advantage until Jushin wrenches the arm only for Dragon to use an athletic reversal to escape and hit a dropkick, sending Liger to the floor where Ultimo flies out with a tope suicida. Lovely. Dragon goes up to the top turnbuckle to fly out with a somersault senton as well before they head back into the ring 
where Ultimo tries for a handspring back elbow, only for Jushin to catch him and throw him with a release German suplex. I mean, he's been on so many shows with Mudo that, like, he sees it coming. Yep. Kapu kick from Liger for a two count, followed by chops, and he goes for a whip across the ring. But Dragon reverses and trips up Jushin before taking him over into a La Magistral cradle for a near fall. Liger then charges in with Shote, only for Ultimo to duck and trip up Jushin once more. Goes for the La Magistral again, but Liger blocks to be on top for a two count before Dragon pulls him over for the crucifix pin and the win. And new! I mean... Fast and gnarly. I and, love that. And match. did you see the pin coming that quick? Nope. nope. Exactly. No. This whole match. That's kind of what Liger is into. Yeah. This this whole match was just a non-stop, quick, fast, edge of your seat. What the hell? What? Oh yeah. shit! It's over. I mean, yeah. And it's like, well, Liger's like British Commonwealth, British Commonwealth title. Yeah. There's a reason he doesn't have the IWGP title going into this match. I mean. Liger looked great now, but Dragon, he yeah, he, he 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 won me over in a quickness. He's got the sauce. What a wonderfully fast-paced match! Two and a half minutes of just go go go. I'm telling you, and the only reason I think you ended up liking it more than the rest of us, Shane, is just because of the length. Like mm-hmm. sometimes we want a little bit more to a match. But it is still a fantastic match. And what's better than being surprised? And I always, I bring it up all the time about how I think that matches shouldn't and don't have to always end with a with somebody's finisher. finisher yeah. And like mm-hmm. they can be surprised if it, every match ends with somebody's finisher, then like doesn't that take away the concept of realism in wrestling? Absolutely. Sometimes somebody has a Absolutely. bad day and they got rolled I mean, up. One of the greatest matches in, in, rest, in wrestling history is Savage and Steamboat at WrestleMania 3, and it ended with a small package. Absolutely. And, I mean, on this list we had a literal Iron Man match, you know, over 60 minutes long, and the one that stood out to me the most was the two-and-a-half-minute match because yeah. it was just straight fire from from start to finish yeah it's legitimately like a firecracker with like too long of a fuse Mm -hmm. you're just like all right all right all right all right all right then it goes off (laughs) oh shit yep hang on tight and hold on because here we go and then literally ultimo dragon moves on to the semifinals of that j crown tournament episode 213 versus shinjiro otani the UWA World Junior Light Heavyweight and the NWA World Welterweight Champion. This was the next round, and Ultimo Dragon's just delivering banger after banger on this show. Yeah, and this one, like, I appreciate even more than the other match, and I think it's I'm a Otani freak. I think Matt might be on my side. Not that we're picking sides, but... Otani is, I feel like he's one of the most underappreciated wrestlers in history. He like, because he is so good, but people don't put him up there, yeah. in like the mountaintops. He's not. He's not flashy the way that Dragon yeah. is. He's grittier. He honestly seems he's more in line with a Japanese version of a Benoit or a Malenko. Yeah. But he yeah. feels like he has even a little bit more like grit and ire than those guys. Yeah, do. he's gonna rip you apart piece by piece. 
and he's going to enjoy it while yeah. he does it. But he's going to make it look easy and like he's almost being your friend in the process, too. So we go to our fifth match, Ultimo Dragon, who's now the War International Junior Heavyweight Champion and the British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight Champion versus Shinjiro Otani, the UWA World Junior Light Heavyweight Champion and the NWA World Welterweight Champion. His Ultimo Dragon song slaps. I mean, I just got to know. They have a World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship, or champion. Was there a World Senior Light Heavyweight Champion? No. Okay. <laughs> when they say junior, they just mean basically your cruiserweights. Yeah. Is what yeah. they mean. Just because they had them both in there, I was like, all right, I just I got to make sure. I know. I thought junior and putting junior and light heavyweight in some of these belts was kind of like redundant, but yeah, yeah. junior light heavyweight, and it's like, uh, maybe it's the translation. Who knows? Senior heavyweight, heavyweight. <laughs> Junior light cruiser heavyweight championship. <laughs> He's just a little guy. Little arms, little legs. So a feeling out process to start when Ultimo would trip up Otani and go for the Law Magistral. But Shinjiro escapes quickly before nailing a drop kick to Dragon. I mean, the crowd has, there's big, big chatter. I mean, it's Ultimo Dragon and Otani. Mm-hmm. Otani would have his whip reversed, allowing Ultimo to trip him up once more and pull him over for a La Magistral, only for Sinjiro to escape quickly again before shaking his finger at Dragon. Like, no, no, you're no. Not, you're not Give getting me. You ain't getting me. The two men trade submission holds, such as head scissors, camel clutches, guillotine chokes, cross arm breakers, heel hooks, until Ultimo nails several kicks and an elbow drop for a two count. Dragon locks in a single leg crab before transitioning it into a muda lock momentarily. And they make it back to their feet where Otani blocks a suplex with a knee to the dragon scales before delivering a drop kick, a body slam, and a running somersault senton for a near fall. Oof. You guys notice all the single leg crab love mm-hmm. tonight? <laughs> it was the hold in Japan that they were teaching. I mean, they still basically teach the single leg crab now. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. But it's just, yeah, funny to see it used so much in like a title match. Well, yeah, I mean. Title matches. Heavyweights to do, do the full They get, they get two legs. Yeah. Shinjiro goes back to the submission game, working the neck and arm of Ultimo until the ropes are reached to break the hold. Otani keeps on the arm, bending it every way but the right one until Dragon is able to reverse it into a cross-arm breaker of his own, causing Shinjiro to grab the ropes for a break. Ultimo's chopping away, and he tosses Otani to a corner, only for him to float over to the apron, so Dragon charges in and springboard drop kicks Shinjiro out to the floor. I mean, come on, guys. He then follows out through the ropes with a baseball slide kick, skinning the cat back into the ring before leaping out with a slingshot plancha that Otani just walks away from, causing Ultimo to crash to the floor. Yeah. Another callback from a recent match. Joe, Joe, Joe. Oh, I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, you know, they'll, they'll walk away from... They yeah, did it earlier. Yeah, 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 it's like, they just like, the callbacks throughout the matches that don't involve all of the same guys, or a guy like, saw the match and like, did it. That's like why the crowd popped so big on the La Magistral, and Otani, Tawny, you know, he is quick to pull his arm out, stand up, and shake his finger like Sonic the Hedgehog. He's a Sega guy. 
<laughs> Shinjiro takes advantage with a snap <laughs> suplex on the concrete, followed by a running somersault senton off the apron, before returning them back to the ring to nail a springboard spinning heel kick for a two count. Otani then delivers a bridging dragon suplex for the pin, and no, dragon kicks out with Shinjiro not believing it. Look at that face. He was just like, what? Nobody ever kicks out of Otani then goes to the apron to leap in with a springboard missile dropkick, only for Ultimo to avoid and roll up Shinjiro with the Law Magistrale for the pin, and no, Otani kicks out. Dragon hits a tombstone pile driver Oof. and a top rope moonsault. Ah, the crowd is crazy. For a near fall. Followed by a hurricanrana that Shinjiro rolls through to land on top for a two count. Shit. Otani goes for a back body drop, only for Ultimo to float over and nail a bridging dragon suplex for a near fall. Ultimo continues with a springboard moonsault for a two count before going for another rana. Only for Shinjiro to counter it into a powerbomb. He then heads up top to hit a springboard dropkick. Followed by another bridging dragon suplex. For the pin. And no! Ultimo kicks out! You know what happened was after that powerbomb, he takes a second to celebrate. That's all it takes. all it takes. Dragon is then placed on the top turnbuckle. Where the two fight over control. With Otani being knocked down several times only to quickly make his way back up to continue the fight. Yeah, he just wouldn't stay down. (laughs) The man won't stay down. When Ultimo would ultimately deliver a super reverse suplex, Dragon would then pick up Shinjiro for a running Liger Bomb for the pin and And the win. And new! Love it. This here, they're really doing it. They're oh, yeah. pulling from all the matches. This one's, that this one's a, a banger. Can you believe that uh, we would just keep putting ECW matches on this show? It's a hard one to believe. I mean, uh, me neither, but here we are with the Can-Am Express of Doug Furness and Dan Crawford versus Sabu and Rob Van Dam. And if you listen to the show, you know I love nothing more than men throwing each other around. Yes. And Dan Crawford and Doug Furness are very similar to the what I love about the Steiner brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, they are big, they're smart, and they suplex the shit out of everybody. And here they're working with Sabu and Rob Van Dam, a cantankerous uh, new tag team. Another thing that warms my heart is the Sabu-Rob Van Dam dynamic. And uh, this was the first time that it's popped up from us covering this show. And it's something I remember fondly from downloading uh, ECW matches in like the late 2000s. And I wasn't familiar. We recently saw some Doug Furness a little bit before this. And he comes in. It's actually our first time to see Dan Crawford. And it's our first time to see Dan Crawford. And I was like, okay, well, who's this Dan Crawford guy? Mm-hmm. Egg on my face. They were a big tag team in Japan. But I didn't know that. I was like, well, who's this guy? Is he Doug Furness good? Turns out he is. And these guys uh, beat the ever-living piss out of each other. Yeah. It's it's one of those, as you said, who's this Dan Crawford guy? And Dan Crawford just steps right up and says, motherfucker, it's me. Yeah. I, I enjoyed them because they just kind of showed up out of nowhere and it was no nonsense. It's reminiscent of 
the you know FTR today where it's you know I'm just gonna come in and we're gonna we're gonna whoop some ass because that's what we do and there wasn't any funky little gimmicks and you know they didn't have to take it to the extreme necessarily they just went in there and it was just straight up wrestling and it was fucking phenomenal yeah it's almost like a quicker Steiner Brothers Hase it's Hase Utani right mm-hmm. Hase Utani match it's similar to that but it's in it's in the bingo hall and it's a little faster and feels a little bit more uh, fresh for the time can't say enough good things about this and to put to put these guys over Doug Furness and Dan Crawford we saw them this same year on a w open a WWF pay-per-view like their first match in the WWF and uh, they WWF Puts, I figured they'd be the first guys to be pinned, but uh, they're so good that they're given given that big of an accolade. Yes, in the uh, very fickle kick out the show and have the win as yeah. the sole survivors. Crazy, love it. You can find that match on episode two nineteen when worlds collide, nineteen ninety six. But you can listen to us talk about it right now. But then we go to our fourth match. The Can-Am Express of Doug Furness and Dan Crawford versus Sabu and Rob Van Dam. <sighs> totally unique match. One of a kind. I mean, I'm uh, excited about this. Yeah. I love when Sabu and Rob Van Dam tag team. This is the first time we've seen it. These guys have a very cute cat and mouse routine between themselves. So, Joey didn't really say it on... On commentary, but this is one of those, you know, how a few shows ago we had a dream partner match. That's technically what this was, because the night before was a show that we didn't cover, that Sabu and Rob Van Dam actually faced each other. And Doug Furness, I remember the last ECW show, Doug Furness and RVD had a match. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. Yeah. And Furness would come down and interfere in the match and basically challenge them. I'll find a partner. You find a partner. And Rob Van Dam and Sabu teams up to go against Furness, who his normal tag team partner in All Japan was Crawford. They've now come over to ECW. So that's where this match so kind of put on a from. big search to find a partner then. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He had one he had one dialed in. But I mean, he's his dream partner because it's his normal partner. Yeah, exactly. It's like well, we're not gonna have any issues here. And I mean after watching him makes sense. Yeah. So the match gets going with Furnace and R V D getting into each other's faces, only for Van Dam to be taken down by a clothesline, a drop kick, and a three point stance shoulder block that sends R V D flying over the ropes out to the floor. We want Sabu. And the crowd wants Sabu. Yeah, they do. They have RVD. Give it some time. Sabu's on the apron, guys. Chill. Van Dam tags out by slapping his partner in the chest. <laughs> so Crawford gets tagged in as well, where Sabu delivers a drop kick, spinning heel kick, and a baseball slide that sends Dan down to the floor and then out into the front row. An RVD tosses the homicidal one a chair, who sets it up for a triple jump double axe handle out onto Crawford. The Express regroups on the outside momentarily, with Sabu missing a clothesline once Dan gets back in, allowing him to nail the homicidal one with a German suplex. Love to see it. Furnace is back in to work the back of Sabu with axe handles, scoot slams, and a Boston Crab. 
but it's near the ropes, so the homicidal one is able to break the hold. Doug then charges into a corner, only for Sabu to move and fire back with a clothesline before reaching out for a tag, which Van Damme uses his boot to do so. <laughs> RVD then hits an enziguri, forearms, and a spinning heel kick on Furnace, making the cover after the homicidal one yells at him, only to get a one count. And the two men begin exchanging kicks until Doug is able to tackle Van Dam down to the mat, before bringing Moffat in, who hits a hip toss and an arm wrench crescent kick. An RVD with another slap to the chest to tag out, which angers Sabu, but he turns his attention to Dan to fight over a waist lock, which Crawford transitions into a leg lock. Now Furnace comes in, but the homicidal one has taken control with a body slam and a leg drop before Van Dam tosses him another chair for a triple jump elbow drop, followed by an Arabian face buster for a two count. Now Doug fires back with a clothesline before bringing Crawford back in, who grabs Sabu away from his corner as RVD refuses to tag in. Love it. Dan then slams the homicidal one with hair pulls multiple times for a near fall, but Sabu escapes to his corner with Van Dam making the reluctant tag. Flurry of strikes from Crawford, but RVD fights back until Furnace comes in to help, which brings the homicidal one in as well, who delivers drop kicks to both expressmen to send them out to the floor. Sabu then reaches his hand out to Van Dam before slapping him, followed by tossing him out of the ring with a somersault senton onto the express. And I love it. He slaps him in the face. Yep. Not even on the chest. So just a slap right on the cheek. <laughs> the homicidal one then joins everyone with a triple jump plancha out onto the floor as well. And we cut ahead with Dan snap suplexing Sabu several times inside the ring for two counts. He applies a bridging surfboard until he can't hold on anymore. Bringing in Doug who power slams the homicidal one for a two count. Leg drop from Furnace for multiple near falls, and he goes for a butterfly powerbomb, only for Sabu to reverse it into a back body drop, but he's not able to take advantage. So Doug comes right back with an overhead belly-to-belly suplex. Oof. Now Crawford comes back with a body slam, and he heads up top, only for the homicidal one to meet him there with right hands, before climbing up for a hurricanrana for a near fall. Now Dan recovers to nail a Japanese sleeper suplex for a two count, before cutting ahead again where Sabu is finally able to make a tag, with Van Dam hitting a spinning heel kick on both expressmen. And Sabu actually tags this time, like a real tag. <laughs> RVD then comes off the top turnbuckle with a missile drop kick and a standing moonsault for a near fall on Furnace. RVD keeps up the attack with a slingshot guillotine leg drop to Doug on the apron, before rolling Furnace onto a table that is bridging the ring and the guardrail, followed by bringing a chair into the ring to set it up for the homicidal one. Sabu then goes for a triple jump, only to trip on the ropes and crotch himself, but Joey tells us that Van Dam shook the ropes to cause it. Van Dam it. <laughs> RVD then leaps up to the turnbuckles, climbing off with a somersault senton through Doug and the table, all while Crawford has recovered to clothesline the homicidal one off the ropes. Now Van Dam rolls everyone back into the ring, with Sabu making a cover on Furnace for a two count. 
RVD's tagged back in, only to have his whip reversed. But Doug charges into a big boot, allowing Van Dam to leap up to the turnbuckle, where he fakes the leap back, sending Furnish dropping down. So RVD then nails a split-legged moonsault for a near fall. Van Dam hits a butterfly pancake, but he doesn't make a cover. Instead, playing to the crowd, allowing Furnace to recover and deliver a released German suplex. Huge. For a two count. Full rotation. I mean, he like flips over around and lands on his face. Dan jumps in the ring with chair in hand, smashing it over Sabu's head before Doug tosses RVD into the steel as well. Crawford then nails a tiger driver onto the chair, while the homicidal one heads to the top turnbuckle, coming off with a splash onto Dan to break up the pin. Sabu smashes Furnace with a chair and then delivers a triple jump moonsault onto Crawford for a near fall. Doug with a Frankensteiner on the homicidal one, only for Van Dam to break up the pin, but he receives a chair shot across the back from Dan. You guys are really, uh, they're really doing it. Yes. Is how I like to put it. Everybody is just throwing each other around. Of course, we could probably do an over-under bet on Sabu triple jump maneuvers. Yeah. In any Sabu match, but here in a, in a tag match, he has even better excuse to be able to pull them off. I mean, this is a blast. Furnace then places Sabu on the top rope with Crawford climbing up to hit an inverted superplex for a two-count. Crawford then goes to pick up the homicidal one for a body slam, only for Sabu to counter it into a small package for a near fall. Dan locks on a sleeper, when Doug would come over to take the homicidal one up to his shoulders for the express to nail a doomsday device for a two-count as RVD makes the save. Now Sabu and Crawford roll to the floor to brawl with chairs and right hands, while Van Damme nails a boot to the face of Furnace, knocking him out of the ring. RVD then slingshots himself over the ropes, but Doug avoids and grabs a chair to do damage, while the homicidal one and Dan have made their way back into the ring with the chair. And Sabu throws the chair into Crawford's face. That's fucking sick. I know, it's right into his <laughs> nose. It's like, yeah, like right on the button. Couldn't have been any more... Perfect in such yeah. a violent way. I had to rewind that one a couple of times like, just to make sure. I'm like, did he actually? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. he seriously just fucking hit him. Because I remember them saying something about Prophet's nose is you know, broken or something. It was like I had to rewatch again and again because yeah. that was just brutal. Right on the right on the money. Sabu slams him down before heading up top with a steel in hand. But Furnace has made his way back into the ring to knock the homicidal one off the apron. And Doug follows out to fight over the chair on the floor, with Sabu getting the better of it before returning to the ring to hit an Arabian facebuster on Dan, who had Van Dam in a leg lock for a near fall. Crawford fires back with a spinning heel kick on the homicidal one, allowing Furnace to roll back in to make the cover for a two count. Now Dan and RVD clothesline each other for a double KO, while Sabu bulldogs Doug into a chair followed by another triple jump elbow drop for a near fall. This match is exhausting to take notes on because it's like basically a best of the Super Juniors match, but if it was a tag match. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> like, and yeah, and everyone did suplexes. Like there is no, 
There's no insignificant move being used here. No. Van Damme delivers a dropkick to Crawford. The homicidal one joins in with an arm drag into a cover for a two count. Followed by RVD with a springboard leg drop onto Furnace for a near fall. Dan hits another Tiger Driver to Sabu for a two count. Before Van Damme starts hitting the Express with a chair. Allowing the homicidal one to make a cover. But RVD almost turns and hits Sabu with the chair as well. Oh no. So he gets up telling Van Damme to nail Doug once more with a chair-aided double leg drop. Now Crawford recovers to thrust kick the homicidal one for a near fall, while RVD slams down Doug, placing a chair on him and heading up top, where he comes off with a split-legged moonsault, with Sabu flying in to make a cover for a two-count. Now the Express looked to double-team Van Dam, but the homicidal one tosses a chair that hits Dan, while Furnace telegraphs a back body drop allowing RVD to nail a DDT for a near fall. Crawford locks a sleeper onto Sabu, while Van Damme leaps off the top rope with a splash onto Doug for a two count. Now RVD stops a pin attempt on the homicidal one, only to receive a released German suplex from Furnace, while Dan takes Sabu up to the top for another inverted superplex, which gets near falls from both men as the bell rings. For a time limit draw. I'm winning it and I wasn't even talking. The crowd wants five more minutes. I mean. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Like legitimately it it feels there's so many power moves in here. It really felt like anybody could have. That any one of those two counts could have been the pin for like the last four or five minutes. Condensed version of an Iron Man match that just went and went and went and went and went. It's a good way to put it. It's like all, it's nothing but high spots from like the first yeah. fucking two minutes on. Yeah. With the homicidal one asking the ref for it, when Crawford would start counting on his fingers, one, two, three, four, and once he gets to five, he slaps Sabu, <laughs> and the express would bail out to the floor, followed by the homicidal one turning his attention back to Van Dam, letting him know not to be such a dick. Before the two shake hands. Wow. It's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've liked, we've, yeah, I mean, I love Doug Furness and RVD uh, from a recent show. And yeah, it's like, what's better than one Doug Furness? A Doug Furness and a Dan Crawford? Yeah, that's they're, uh, both, they're both fucking great. This was like the payoff for all of the shitty tag team matches that we've had to watch over the last year or so in ECW that was just non-stop trash and smaws and yeah. plunder and all that stuff and we get this endless quality high amp the entire time match that just is a constant yeah two guys that like work like juniors but have a little bit more weight to them versus basically a like Diner Brothers style tag team that like yeah. has a, a bit of a different um Move set, but it's suplex fucking city. Yeah. And they're big and believable and, yeah, great. Is this match on a list? I love it. (laughs) It definitely could be. I think it should be. (laughs) What we're saying is... uh, Short list. Yeah, you you should watch watch (laughs) this one. Oh. Gotta love the time limit draw. Love it. And, yeah, I... 
I mean, Shane Douglas. Like, we were talking about how Otani is incredibly underrated. Feels the same way about Shane Douglas. Like, we all know he's great. Otani, obviously, has probably talked a lot more about in Japan. Uh, Shane Douglas is definitely talked about here, but he still kind of feels like a best-kept secret. You know, Taz went on to work in bigger places. Shane Douglas feels like ECW is his spot, and uh, he is the highlight of most ECW shows. And here he is healing it up with Pitbull, a guy that the crowd lifted up, that wasn't that the ECW was forced to push. And at this point, Shane is like Pitbull too is basically in this blood feud with Shane because the franchise had taken his partner Pitbull number one out, and his Pitbull number one's literally walking around in headgear. Yeah, like a halo. Halo. Pins in his head. Yeah. And so, at episode 222, Ultimate Jeopardy, 1996, it kind of feels like it all comes to a head. And Shane does one of the most egregious things that you'll ever see. <laughs> and that's kind of why this match made this list. Yeah, and the crowd couldn't... I think this might be the hottest ECW crowd we've I mean, seen. You have the combination of that, you've got the, the Gertner effect in it and yeah everybody just losing their shit from what Shane does and don't forget Francine turned on the pit bulls and is now in the corner of one Shane Douglas beach life is a beach (laughs) so we head to our ninth match the franchise Shane Douglas with Francine versus pit bull number two with pit bull number one for the ECW world television championship Let's do it. Champion came out first, guys. Foreshadowing. And Pitbull hits the ring, and the fight is on. Shane Douglas still got that belt on. Pitbull 2's not messing around. He nails several clotheslines and takes the belt from around the franchise's waist and uses it to clock Shane for a two count. Francine climbs in to yell at number two, which brings the crowd chanting, She's a whore. And a distraction allowing Douglas to pick up the title to return the favor for a near fall. The franchise with a DDT, but it's no sold. So Shane begs off, only to receive a press slam into a brain buster for a two count. Pretty cool. And Douglas rolls out, only for Pitbull to follow out to keep the attack with chair shots and a chin lock, before tossing the franchise into a guardrail. Now back in the ring, number two delivers a choke slam for a near fall, before working the neck with the crowd wanting vengeance, yelling, Break his neck! Pitbull with a choke lift and more chokes, until Shane bounces out of a corner to nail a swinging neckbreaker and a pile driver. And Douglas continues with a vertical suplex, and he starts working the neck of number two with holds, until Pitbull lifts him on his shoulders to drop him face first across the turnbuckle. I mean, such... Solid and simple psychology. Uh, he's cranking on his neck or whatever. What does Shane Douglas do immediately when he gets out? Does power moves to the neck of Pitbull 2. He loved to see it. The franchise is whipped to a corner, but he moves, 
Sending number two into the ring post. Shoulder first. Post. Followed by Shane nailing another swinging netbreaker for a two count. Douglas with some right hands, but Pitbull starts firing back. Taking the franchise up to the top rope for mounted punches. Even knocking the ref down so he could continue. Ref bump. The Eliminators hit the ring, but number two delivers a double clothesline and pounds his chest, allowing them to recover and hit total elimination. Okay, I think now we're to the point where there's been enough Eliminators on the show. Yep. Followed by Shane flying in off the top with an elbow drop for the pin, and no, Pitbull kicks out. Yeah, We'd love to see it. We're, we're, this is a Pitbull, pro-Pitbull podcast. We're also pro-Shade Douglas, but I mean, come on. Number two reverses a whip, but then just keeps running Douglas from corner to corner until finally charging in. Only the franchise to get his boot up three times in a row. Damn it. Shane heads up top, but Pitbull shakes the ropes, causing Douglas to crotch himself, allowing number two to climb up to deliver a super fallaway slam. Francine then pulls something out of her dress, not that perverts, and climbs to the apron while Pitbull is setting up for a super bomb. And number two grabs her, sending the object flying into the ring, with the distraction allowing the franchise to grab it, all while Francine goes to her knees to beg off Pitbull, which elicits the crowd to chant, Suck, Suck his, his dick. dick! We're in Philly, guys. Yep. It would be so funny for female valet manager or whatever to get on the apron and just pull one titty out. <laughs> I'm just, just like, it's, the, it's just one titty is way too funny, but it could only really work on like, at least in kayfabe on somebody like Bubba Ray Dudley, where it's like, oh, he's just a giant 12-year-old, titty. at least right now. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see a tit at some point. Yeah, sure. We're a couple years away from some titties showing up on TV. Um, we're looking at you, Jack A. Number two instead hits her with a running power slam. But Shane then throws powder into Pitbull's face, causing him to well about and accidentally nail a belly-to-belly suplex to the ref. Yeah, it wasn't even just a little bit. It was a lot of powder. It was a whole bag of cocaine Uh, just... Yeah, no, it was like... Somebody, it was like they dumped the whole thing of baby powder into the, <laughs> like into the bag. They're like, yeah, we're just going to use the whole thing. That way we can't miss. Yeah. Even if we miss, like, you know, it's, it's, something's got to hit him. He's a big guy. you gotta, you got to blind him a lot. And there's a lot of coverage to make. Douglas delivers a single-arm DDT before putting a dog collar around number two's neck, wrapping the chain and using it to choke the pit bull before applying a full Nelson. And Pitbull won, then gets on the apron to cheer on his partner, which was the boost number two needed to break free. But the franchise goes low, followed by another single-arm DDT. Son of a bitch. Number one then gets in the ring. Don't do it! And he throws a towel in Shane's face before starting to yell at him. Only for Douglas to grab him by the halo and shake it. And that part just like made my entire body get that whole like tingly feeling all over as it was happening. Because again, I couldn't tell for sure how injured number one is, and that's the biggest fear that I've had for him this entire time. Was yep, and getting they, they caught in the way, and they didn't do it immediately. And when they did do it, they did it right. Like shaking that is gross to look at, no matter whether he's injured or not. It's just like, 
Wonderful visual. Yep. Todd Gordon, officials, wrestlers, <laughs> even Joey Styles himself come running down to the ring to check on number one. Make it serious if you're going to do angles like this, guys. Even multiple fans jump the rail to go after the franchise. Yep. This is the heat Jim Cornette was talking about. <laughs> Shane and Francine are led to the back where we get fan cam footage of Tommy Dreamer attacking Douglas. And a stretcher's brought in when Joel Gertner enters the ring to announce the franchise as the winner. This is a hot angle, dude. <laughs> yeah. So Gordon turns and punches him. And so that, good. Yeah, that... I, I don't normally use the word pop, but I pop for that. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> Heyman and the wrestlers pull Todd off of Gertner, but Joel takes the mic again to continue. Son of a bitch. <laughs> so Paul goes after him this time. <laughs> so, so classic. Wrestlers separate everybody, but threaten Gertner if he continues. So he leaves, while number one leaves in an ambulance. What a stretcher job. Whew. What a hot angle. Yeah, I was like, this is good, but I didn't expect it to just, it came to a boil, and my god. Good stuff, man. Damn. Woo! I mean, I know we share a name and all, but uh, seeing Shane Douglas in that scenario there, just, uh, it, it makes me want to go by something other than Shane. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why I've been picking all these different names, just so I can... <laughs> Distance yourself. ...have something in common with somebody else who doesn't make me cringe at their <sighs> assholery and... You could only dream to be as big of a dickhead as Shane Douglas pulls off inside of a <laughs> ring. Uh... But last but not least... Episode 227, Survivor Series 1996. It's the arrival. I think that this is the, like, the man is now cemented for glory. He's been on the come up for quite a while. He was uh, great in WCW, small stint ECW, and here he is working himself from opening matches in the WWF, and now he's here against the excellence of execution. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Bret Hart to be the number one contender for the WWF Championship. And uh, it's not the one everybody remembers, but this is what puts... The one I remember in 1996. Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, the stepping stone that just kicks off... Yeah, you guys think this is like the true, true anointment of Stone Cold Steve Austin as a, like, future... All right, we're completely behind him now. Not even just as a future, as the, the future. future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, you you're always in for a treat with Brett and Stone Cold, and this one kicks off their their rivalry beautifully. So. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Stone Cold in matches with Savio Vega, and it's like Stone Cold. He's just he's he's come slowly coming out of the shell and we're watching him emerge as uh, the guy that sold more shirts than anybody else and uh, it's only up for here for him mm-hmm. so enjoy so we go to our fourth match Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Brett the Hitman Art in a number one contenders match for the WWF championship and as Brett enters 
JR says he isn't a trash man or a clown. He's a wrestler. With McMahon chiming in with, notwithstanding the integrity. Notwithstanding the standing. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Before spoiling the main event. But we won't. Okay, I was like, what did he say? He literally said the winner of this match was going to face. Oh my gosh. Insert name here. I thought he said both names, at least in my memory. Nope. Otherwise, I wouldn't I mean, have made he, it. He said it, and then he correct, corrected himself. Like JR corrected him real quick. Yes. Incredible. Funny stuff. So the two men stare each other down until Stone Cold flips the double bird, which got blurred out on the network. Pretty funny. It's like, yeah, it's like, there's no, yeah, got, yeah, no way they blurred all of them out for the Attitude Era, but hey, we're not there yet. Maybe they did. They begin with some mat wrestling, using arm work to control their opponent until Austin catches the hitman with a stun gun. And Stone Cold begins to focus on the throat and neck of Hart with elbows, knees, chokes, and a catapult under the bottom rope. And it, I thought that it sounded like they were talking about this being a submission match. No. Okay, I think I might. I just heard that it was. I guess the one number one contender, because Jr. like starts talking up like it'd be so embarrassing to like give up in in MSG or whatever. So it seemed like that they were pushing over the submission moves on the commentary. So I got a little confused. I just wasn't sure if I was the only one. Maybe maybe Brett's been gone for so long that they had to remind people that the sharpshooter is his finishing move. <laughs> You'd like to think they didn't have to, but hey, you never know. You know, JR sometimes just likes to give that information that you already know and don't really need to know again. Yeah, notwithstanding the standing. <laughs> Brett rallies with clotheslines, an atomic drop, and a Russian leg sweep for a two count before attempting a bulldog, only for Austin to shove him off hard into a turnbuckle. The two men then fight over a suplex, with Stone Cold getting the hitman up to the top rope, only for Hart to fight off Austin, sending him face first down to the mat. Did you guys see somebody that we see all the time on in another promotion? He's in the crowd. I mean, in the third row. Is there a sign guy or something? He's the ECW glasses guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was in the third row. And I was like, ah, he just never takes those things off, does he? Brett then comes off with a flying elbow drop for an airfall. Brett picks up Stone Cold for a backbreaker, but Austin rakes the eyes to avoid before tossing the hitman out to the floor. Stone Cold follows out with a double axe handle off the apron, ramming Hart into a ring post, back first, posted. But Brett fights back to ram Austin into a guardrail several times, with it breaking apart, sending both men into the front row. Stone Cold's then rolled back in, but he just keeps rolling to the other side of the ring to regroup. But the hitman follows out with an elbow off the apron, only for Austin to take down Hart and catapult him onto the Spanish announce table, and into the lap of Hugo Savinovich. Hugo! Stone Cold then body slams Brett on top of the table, leaps off the apron with an elbow drop, before returning to the ring. Austin then brings the hitman in the hard way, hitting a second rope elbow drop for a two count, and a running straddle across the ropes for a near fall. Stone Cold then goes to an ab stretch, using leverage until he's caught. So Austin begins to argue with the ref, allowing Hart to recover, and the two men begin trading strikes again, 
until Brett nails a stun gun of his own. The hitman delivers a pile driver and a backbreaker. Before heading up top, the Stone Cold knocks him down, causing Hart to crotch himself. He then climbs up to hit a superplex, only for Brett to roll him up for a two count. Back to their feet, Austin nails the stunner for the pin. And no, the hitman kicks out. Stone Cold continues to make pins out of frustration, all for near falls, before locking on a Texas cloverleaf, only for Hart to crawl his way to the ropes to break the hold. Austin then whips Brett hard into a corner, where he ends up falling and rolling into the ring post. So Stone Cold applies a bow and arrow to continue to work the back. I mean, the rolling into the post spot is so good. He just, like, backwards into the post, and it's, yeah, innovative, and it looks like it hurts. Wonderful stuff. The hitman finally frees himself, and he goes for the sharpshooter. But Austin grabs the ropes to stop the attempt. Hart then locks on a sleeper, only for Stone Cold to escape by ramming Brett into a corner and a jawbreaker before applying the million-dollar dream. The hitman then runs up the ropes and leaps backwards with Austin's shoulders down for the pin and the win. Uh, Out of nowhere. Right. I mean, it's great. And uh, it's also nice because it's like, oh, Brett caught him off guard. It's like he got the best of him tonight, but he didn't he didn't tap him out with a sharpshooter. He didn't hit like a uh, like tombstone pile driver. He was just... The smarter man, and before they go into that, like, in those last couple of minutes, like, granted, these guys are working their asses off, so they are exhausted, but they're selling that they're exhausted. Uh, so it makes sense that he's caught off guard and winded, and just got the best of him that night. And see, that's the... Something uh, I'd like to see more in wrestling today. The way Brett usually sneaks in a win is walking up the ropes and yep. throwing them backwards. He did it to did it to Hot Rod at WrestleMania 8. He yep. had it done to him at WrestleMania 10 by Owen. It's and Stone Cold hasn't it's uh, a good little throwback. Hasn't had a match with the man. Yep. And those are You should have studied the tape. Two of the best Brett feuds that we've had over the years and now capping it off with number 3. Post match Stone Cold stares down Hart as he leaves the arena while Brett celebrates in the ring and with fans. So I don't think we've seen the last of these two. No. 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 I mean, we haven't seen one of the most famous images from wrestling packages of the Attitude Era. It all stems from this interaction. Yeah. That finish just, like, it gets better every time we watch it. Yep. I'm ready for a 97 because I have a good idea of what's coming up. I mean, we can, pr- we can pretty much guarantee that that one's going to be on the 97. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. It's like I was like, oh, I mean, we put it on the short list, right? Because it's great, but what about the other one? It's like, well, can you give people their accolades? Yeah, I mean, Brett and Sean had some, some issues with each other, but there's something even more magical about Austin and, and Hart on the screen because, you know, Brett and Sean always tried to one-up each other it seems like Austin and Brett always want to make the other one that much better in their next match, their next outing, their next move. They have so. a they have a like a better working relationship, and they have, I'm sure they have much more personal respect for each other. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, 
you get something that is better than Brett and Sean. And uh, Stone Cold is not not um, as famous as either of these guys, but he's on his way, and uh, one of the many reasons that he gets pushed up up the card. He's not he's not going to have a match like this with anybody else in the company. Nope. We also, I mean, our short list was 15 matches long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we brought it down to those six that we have just shared with you. But we did want to just kind of mention some of our other... The other ones in our hearts, yeah. Um, just letting you know that Shawn Michaels, he was on our list three times. Yep. And we didn't pick any of his matches for the show, but... Doesn't the mean we don't love 60 man Iron Man match. His match versus Diesel from Diesel's last match in WWF. Yeah, yeah potentially the and best then Diesel match. His match versus Mankind at Mind Games. Great All match. three fabulous matches. Shane Douglas. I mean, we did cover one of his matches, but he was on the list a couple more times. Yep. Ultimo, as we mentioned earlier, was on the list three times. Uh, Liger. Two Cold Scorpio, RVD, Sabu, and Bret Hart were all on the list twice as well. So, just wanted to give those those guys shout-outs for yeah. having multiple appearances on our short list. And a funny one, also from Big Extreme Bash, Rey Mysterio, Juventud Guerrero, two out of three falls in ECW. Didn't expect that to happen. I mean, I think yeah. one of the reasons that maybe it didn't make it to the shortest of the lists is because the match is kind of chopped up. Yeah, and I think if it got to breathe a little more, maybe it would have been even more memorable. And all of the matches on this list are uh, memorable and struck a chord with us. Yep. But thanks for joining us for our look back at 1996. Man, this is uh, why we do it to find these nuggets. And there's plenty of things that didn't make this that we got excited about. But sometimes you got to comb through the dreck and we do it here yes we definitely do it here yeah, we, wrestling history we X. found we found these 15 phenomenal matches but yeah we had to watch some some stuff some shit yeah some as yeah some some stankers yeah and there's pl- plenty of other good stuff but these are yeah, like i said the ones that uh you know we immediately were like i'd like to see that again i mean if each show averaged we'll just go an average of eight matches that means we watched 416 matches in 1996. Yeah, and it's got to be more than that because uh, some shows uh, are... Some most shows, shows, most shows are at least eight. And I just have to point out again that of the 52 weeks of shows that we watched, zero WCW made the shortlist. That's not true. Oh, that's right. I forgot. One. Our last show, we had one. On our... I Ultimo, forgot about that Ultimo one. And you know, Dean. You heard it a couple weeks ago. Yep. Uh, Starcade. Starcade 96. Uh, we all loved it. I mean, that's a short list show in my I keep forgetting that. I look at Ultimo and it's like, oh, Japan. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, he had a match with the American Sinjiro Otani, the Malenko. Dark haired daddy with black shorts. Mm hmm. Next week. Start up 1997 Marie, in Tokyo, Japan with Wrestling World 1997. Uh-oh. It's Christmas. Hmm. So will our first shortlist match come about on the first episode? If it doesn't, Possibly. I will be heartbroken as Japan 
normally brings at least like, at looking least at the list one here, fresh that's match. where our first one came from was Wrestling World '96. So I mean, we do know that Ultimo Dragon, Liger and Dragon, will be faced off against yeah. each other. Yeah, we, we talked about that. We one. talked about Yay. that in Starcade '96. So unless uh, they really shit the bed, and these guys aren't known for doing that, that one has a whole lot of potential. Well, I'm hoping that it's more than two and a half minutes, but even if it's not, it I think I'm gonna is. like it. it Fuck yeah. Music from this week's show is Machine Head by Bush and Bell Bottoms by John Spencer Blues Explosion. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. I mean, we picked matches that are five stars in our hearts. So, you know, do us, do us the solid. We've watched plenty. We want to be on your short list yeah. of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. If you have any questions, comments, concerns. If you've ever been to Japan or you enjoy Japanese cuisine or cocktails. If you've ever been to Philadelphia, because I'm sure we're going to end up back there at some point. I'm always looking for ideas, whether they be food or drink. Or you just want to shout out your your best of 1996. If there's one that we didn't mention on here that... Like, what the hell are you guys thinking? How could you not pick this one? Shout us out. Let us know what it is. If we haven't watched it, then we will, and we'll let you know what we think. If you say World War III match, I will block you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, We've offered to, uh, you know, send magnets to people. If you say World War III, you may get something a little more stank on it. Yeah. We're going to dox you. We're going to find you and dox you. (laughs) But you can do those through email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on X at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. See you in 97. Laters!